So tonight we are joined by the Melbourne-based artists Charlie Sofo and Katie Lee to find out more about their work for New 12 and the stories, ideas and processes behind their practice. Uh, Jeff uh, is going to guide us through and Jeff is the curator of this amazing exhibition and I would like to thank and congratulate Jeff and all of the artists involved but particularly Charlie and Katie who we have here tonight, so thank you. And so Jeff uh, is a curator and writer and works across the visual arts, performance and dance. He is currently co-director at Sydney's Performance Space and prior to Sydney, Jeff was artistic director at Next Wave Festival. He has also held roles at Gertrude Contemporary Art Spaces, John Curtin Gallery in Perth and the Guggenheim Museum in New York, as well as a guest curatorship including Primavera 09 at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Sydney. So tonight will be roughly a 45 minute talk and then there will be an opportunity to catch up with the artists and also with Jeff after in the exhibition space. Uh, so now to begin the conversation, I would like to ask Jeff um, how he ended up as the curator of New 12 and also to hear about what the process was from that moment. Mm. Okay, so um, I'm the first guest curator of New um, in a number of years. I think Max Delaney was the last person from outside ACCA to curate the show. Um, and I, I guess I worked with ACCA in parallel um, for a few years and in the last couple of Next Wave festivals that I had, um, I had worked on, there had been uh, a couple of projects that we presented in collaboration with ACCA, including um, in the last festival, I don't know if any of you saw it, but uh, a collaborative durational performance by um, Michaela Gleave and Kate Mitchell, who's in this show called Walworth, where they built and deconstructed a brick wall in five different locations of Melbourne um, over the course of the festival. Um, and so I'd always had a sort of, uh, sort of peripheral relationship to ACCA and um, dialogue with the staff here and uh, I guess uh, from there Juliana Engberg who's the artistic director here invited me to curate this show at the end of 2010 um, which had been sort of brewing for a little while but um, as luck would have it I bumped into her in the streets of LA on a holiday uh, a couple of years ago and that's when sort of the invitation was formalised and I came on board to do it and I guess one of the challenges as a curator um, coming into uh, working on this exhibition uh, is the openness of the brief and in a way I guess there uh, it's very wide open in that it's uh, the brief of new is it's about uh, inviting new artists to work on new commissions but the definition of that new is fairly sort of fluid and you know it's it's interesting that ACA don't state that it's it's emerging artists or one of those categories that is a lot more prescriptive. I think there's a certain fluidity around the idea of, of, of what new means in the context of this show, uh, which means each curator can interpret it differently, which um, means that you can have a bit more fun with the brief. Um, uh, I guess there are very particular parameters though in terms of the fact that it is an annual series and new has a history, this is the 10th exhibition, so there's been nine editions beforehand. Um, it does operate on new commissions and it operates around um, this very particular, very spectacular exhibition space here at ACCA. Uh, and, you know, architecturally, as um, I think, you know, you'll see in the response of, 
of Katie's work, but all of the artists have had to grapple with the space in some way, and that obviously, I guess, informed my initial thinking about it as a curator. But apart from that, I guess, uh, I kind of took it as a responsibility to be quite broad in my initial research and really not to go into it with any particular agenda about the kind of artist that I was looking for or the kind of practice that I was interested in necessarily, um, but to meet a whole range of artists um, and then sort of, uh, sort of let it organically grow or, or make a selection from there. And really, like, I think there are some really lovely threads that have grown up that, that kind of connect the work, but they've grown quite organically and some of it's informed obviously unconsciously by my own interest and the kinds of practice that I'm interested in, but also um, over the evolution of the project, um, you know, in conversation with all of the artists, there's some nice linkages and connections between the work. Uh, so I just thought rather than close it down to that sort of particular sort of thematics or anything that runs through, I throw that over to you guys, um, uh, Katie and Charlie, uh, and maybe take it right back to our very initial conversations about the exhibition. And I think although your practices are quite different, the way you work is quite different, um, a common aspect um, of, of our conversations and of those first conversations when I first visited you in your studios was that you both had a very solid history of um, creating some quite major works and creating works on quite a significant kind of scale over the last couple of years, but that you were both um, at a particular turning point in your practice where you were making a shift or, or reconsidering what you did uh, through a different kind of lens. And I was wondering maybe if, if you could talk a little bit about those conversations that we had and the particular sure. point in the practice you were at. Yep, sure. Um, I think, as you said, I had sort of had a history of doing a lot of um, solo work in different artist-run spaces and in particular types of sites. and over time had started to break down that solo practice into work that was able to uh, kind of reduce and expand to suit particular situations. And I guess those situations uh, were largely sort of group shows and how to have work that's sort of um, site specific or site um, responsive and yet have other work around it, which was a problem for me. So a lot of the work I do is is kind of research-based in terms of solving particular problems and conditions that exhibition spaces might offer or set up for our, for our work. And so I went through a series of projects that were sort of about, I was sort of calling them field studies, they were about how to get a set of things that could articulate into a particular type of space and then reduce if they needed to and make sense still in a site or in alongside other artists' work. And um, I guess more recently that having sort of completed that stage of my practice or that stage of my research, I was really ready and interested in uh, not necessarily having to um, reduce the practice in that way and to, to do another bigger sized work that had the same language, had the same types of objects and that I'd sort of begun to use as a kind of vocabulary but how to then fit them back together again as a whole space, in a whole space. And other research uh, that I had been doing was in relation to activating space. So having quite sort of formal minimalist style work, often um, quite austere in some ways, 
uh, I was interested in researching ways that I could sort of open that practice up to a more poetic reading or a more um, uh, dynamic reading perhaps, where people could come in and actually um, have more than one entry point into the work so that it wasn't so located in the sort of lineage of minimalist art practice and the history of that type of work. So I had started working with um, performers with um, another two Melbourne artists, Bridie Lunny and Damien Gurley. And we had uh, started to do research basically around um, how we could sort of uh, reveal something more about the dynamic, the potential dynamic in the work. So we were working with an artist, uh, dancer called Kyle Premiskosen, which is the same dancer that I've used in this work. And uh, we chose him in particular because he comes from the Lucy Groan Dance Company, well that's where I'd seen his work. And his work is, and her work, Lucy's work, and therefore Kyle's work, uh, kind of comes from a very ordinary set of gestures. It's not overly kind of flamboyant, it's often quite um, sort of straightforward. It, sort of looks at everyday gestures and kind of builds up a language over the period of the performance that may start with something quite sort of basic, but by the time it's finished, by the time the choreography is finished, it's sort of resonating with quite a sort of strong psychological um, overtone, I guess. And so I was interested in working with Kyle on that because I could see that the way he was using his body was the way that I was kind of interested in using sculpture work. Um, sculpture making objects and so I was really interested to see what would happen if you put a body like that, a body that's trained to register space to a really similar extent that perhaps um, sculpture or installation practice can be, uh, how he would sort of reveal something in the inst installation. But it's sort of anti, I'm sort of not really particularly interested in um, overt performance either, I'm not interested in my own inhabitation of the space and I'm not really interested in sort of uh, sort of formal performance that might have a live aspect in it I suppose. So the research was kind of around how to perhaps have a document of some kind that showed his navigation through the space that opened up the practice somehow that was able to be sort of um, part of the work but not the work and it was all sort of very much as a sort of research base that um, we were working with. So I'd done one show uh, called Non-Negotiable at the RMIT project space, which was overtly a research project. And I guess I met Jeff and started to talk to Jeff about what would come next from that. How would I continue to that project? What would that be? And what, particularly what the outcome is from that type of research? What did I want the, the work to actually be? So this was an opportunity for me to sort of uh, do that again. In the first project that I did, I didn't ask, I, I didn't want Kyle to use, um, uh, he didn't dance, I suppose, he just did very ordinary things within the installation. And this time I wanted Kyle to have the opportunity to be in the same space that I came to, which was an empty sort of space, which is only empty physically, it's not empty contextually or politically or socially and to see what types of gestures he would create in this type of empty space. Um, because a lot of the time when I start to generate a work, I come to that site and I look at it and it's quite a sort of organic or intuitive response, sort of like perhaps 
the two languages have a similarity to drawing. So I was asking Kyle to draw in the space through his bodywork and I would draw in the space through my sculpture practice. So uh, yeah, that's sort of where we met, I think, isn't it? That's the kind of it point was. that we were starting from. Mm. And it was interesting for me that, um, you know, that your practice was expanding outwards from the kind of quite materials-based sort of sculptural practice into these more ephemeral and performative gestures and how they could be incorporated into an exhibition space because sort of my experience of working with dancers and dance projects is that um, you know the commonality is that dancers often work with scoring systems and rather than set choreographies which are prescribed movements that you copy in a space a lot of contemporary dancers and choreographers work with what's called a score, which is a set of guidelines or instructions or instructions for responding to a space that works in a very similar way to your sculptural mm -hmm. vocabulary and that it's not about the creation of specific objects, mm -hmm. but it's more about translating a sort of material language into a mm -hmm. specific space. Mm -hmm. And that was, um, yeah, something that really struck me about the collaboration with Kyle and. Um, that sort of dance aspect of the project. Mm. And I think what's interesting, sort of in comparison with, with both of your works in the show, is that while Katie was sort of making this, this departure or um, leaping point from a sort of, for a more sculptural and materials-based practice, Charlie, your work, which had been um, very ephemeral for a long time and was these um, accumulations of everyday gestures that were either sort of recorded through, through performance or video or a sort of more time-based medium, or these um, much more sort of fragile collections or archives of objects that you created, um, sort of moving almost back into a much more solid material, sculptural kind of language? <coughs> yeah, um, I think after last year, yeah, there was like a certain amount of like, you know, looking outwards, and um, uh, I, I guess, um, you know, wanting interaction, I suppose. Um, but when I got back on, from Christmas, I sort of had um, got back to my bedroom and got back into the studio and I sort of was faced with just um, the simple kind of question of what to do with this stuff, you know around me, you know, mm. which is, uh, I had a conversation with a friend, um, Patrick, um, and we both talked about this kind of reoccurring need to go back to, you know, you know, when you go into, the, into, your, into your studio or wherever, you know, you've got this table and you've got this pencil on the table, and that's all you've got to begin with, in a way, and, and instead of, and that's what, and, and sometimes you can use that as your material, or it's good to kind of go back to some sort of, um, <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to call it the basics, but I, I think it's a, sort of a, um, uh, has more, more to do with simplicity, I think. Mm. Um, it's funny because on Saturday morning, just after the opening of the show, I was woken up by a phone call from Blockbuster Video. Um, uh, and they asked me, they said that uh, a, a set of DVDs that I'd hired about four or five months ago, that there was one missing. It was Seinfeld season one. <laughs> and I just, my, in my head, it went straight to one of these sculptures. And I, seeing it, it was stuck on it, you know, it was in the, it was in the work. Um, Art and life coming together. Yeah, so it's, I guess it's like, you know, you work away in a kind of somewhat of an, you know, a pseudo-objective way, but, but within that kind of life or experience kind of just slips its way in, like somehow, 
And you kind of have to maintain a certain amount of distance from things for that to happen, but um, ideally, um, even in working or going and, and adopting what is a kind of modernist or formal way of making sculpture as such, um, uh, but, but not necessarily, but also sort of, you know, having that or using the tools and the language of that um, to kind of, you know, to interrogate or to, well, actually, I think what it's doing is kind of, it's trying to sort of represent materials in, in particular ways or to, to reframe them, I guess, or frame them, I should say. My next question was going to be then, sort of if, if the idea is going back to basics and to, to looking at those materials around you to, to really um, form the foundation of the work, then um, what fueled the decision to, to engage this very formal, very sort of structural, um, sculptural language that comes directly from um, sort of highly constructed works from modernist sculpture and, you know, Calder we've talked about being an influence. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird because it's just like, I always liked Calder. I never knew that there'd be an opportunity to go and, you know, like interact with that or, or that, that kind of history. But it's sort of, um, and um, I don't know, it's, I, I guess it is that you can, I, I try to do it with a sense of uh, lightness or, or fun. So I wasn't overburdened by this kind of, uh, mode of operating or, or, or making or whatever, but I, I was thinking about it um, and it, it occurred to me that there, there, there was this other thing, which is that, um, uh, you know, when you go into to shops, and I went into a lot of shops for shops, you know, that had um, shop fittings and that sort of thing, and, I, would, and I, w I was thinking about this idea of a, you know, like a structure and a base, which is kind of a quintessential modernist kind of sculpture, you know, where, the, you, know, where you had figuration before, you've you know, now you have the base, the base is kind of obvious, but you kind of have that in retail as well, which is there to kind of offer up this sort of merchandise. And I don't know, the, the languages have been quite confused. Uh, and I, I kind of, for some reason, started drawing from that as well as this sort of a, you know, which is kind of uh, considered quite crass in some way. And, and, and my whole, you know, my interest in, in, in Cowder and the lightness of those early works that he did, actually, um, the, the circus and um, uh, some of, works he made um, with cutlery and those kinds of things, a smaller scale um, mm. sort of works. Uh, but I'm, I'm not quite sure, I don't know how, I can't, I, actually I can say it now, but I don't know if I was honestly sort of consciously thinking that as I was you know, mm. making it as well, there was a sort of need to go in and, and give it a go. It's um, great hearing you articulate that though, because I think one of the uh, ongoing debates that Charlie and I have had through um, the installation of this work was around the, the plinth for the TV, and we really disagreed. I don't know if all of you have seen this uh, this very sort of uh, visual merchandising style plinth that Charlie's work sits on. And for me, it was quite jarring in relation to these kind of quite beautiful handcrafted kind of uh, CD racks and the other sculptures which he'd made. But hearing you speak through that, uh, that parallel between, I guess, the language of visual merchandising and the language of modernist sculpture, it sort of, it, it, it is another blurring of that threshold. Yeah, and it probably, that blurring's already happened, so mm. I don't know if I, I don't think I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's already sort of pre-existing. I don't know a lot about that video, that, you know, I think when you have a kind of pre-made structure and you have this quite, uh, they're not laboured, but they're considered sort of, uh, you know, sculptures. It, you might kind of come to the conclusion that maybe this, this sort of thing is polluting the, you know, the, the mm. kind of sanctity or purity of, of, of these, these other works. And, I, I thought about that and I was kind of interested in you know, that notion of kind of like uh, of pollution <laughs> you know, in the work or, yes. um, uh, and it seemed to add a kind of a complexity I didn't understand. I just knew it was going to, it had something a little bit strange to it or... or Maybe I'm a little bit guilty of that purism uh, that you're talking about. Oh, we all are. <laughs> I mean, look at the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and I think you know one of the one of the other qualities that you're talking about that sort of that warmth and that humor from that comes from sort of not looking at them as, as binarized kind of uh, uh, opposites uh, is another thing that links your two works and the the sort of the humor that's present and um, I think Katie with your work it's a much more latent humor but it's it's still very much there and uh, I was just wondering if you could maybe tell us a little bit about the role that humour plays for you? Yeah, um, wonky dumb things I think is what I mm. would call that humour. It's dumb as in sort of um, muted I think rather than stupid. Um, but I don't know, I think it's just the, um, the, in, the, the defunct nature maybe of mm. things. So, I think um, maybe I didn't mean so much a, um, a latent humour as a Maybe it's a blacker brand of humour. Yeah, I, I think it's. I mean, I think it's because the origin of a lot of the work comes from walking around an urban space that has a lot of dumb things in it, uh, things that maybe don't work anymore that have been left there, or things that have sort of got this lineage from previous great ideas, design ideas, safety ideas whatever it is that sort of made people decide that certain things need barriers around them or certain things need us to be careful um, around. And they sort of get repeated until they're sort of, nobody really stops and asks why they're there, you know. So there's this kind of sense that things, once they're introduced, will continue to be used in urban spaces. And I'm talking about sort of practical things like, you know, uh, metal over what outdoor lights and just every little detail that we have that sort of is in our urban space um, and a lot of them are sort of uh, decommissioned actually I think a lot of the time as well so I really I like things I like kind of repositioning things that are kind of decommissioned I suppose as a mm -hmm. sort of way of I do think they're funny in in the world. <laughs> mm. they, they also seem sort of, a lot of them seem poised to act, but they don't. Mm. Like they kind of, they're almost like, they're sort of stopped at some point. Like, mm. Well, it's kind of like a, I often think of them as a sort of storage. They're in storage or yeah. they're in archives of some kind. So they're sort of like um, the archive of, of uh, strange things that, that still are in, you can't dematerialise things, you know. They're still around, but I like the idea of them being sort of, um, yeah, a storeroom or a, um, a resting place for these strange things. They're not necessarily really dynamic still, but they, you can still sort of remember, or you can sort of still imagine maybe what they were used for, but mm, it's sort of not of, quite there anymore. Which fits their situation in the white cube as well, which is an environment where you actually you can't touch anything mm. or you can't interact, or that's almost a, mm. a sort of taboo. Yeah, Jan Bryant talks about it in the essay that she's written for the catalogue, which hasn't been published yet. But she sort of talks about that interest from my uh, point of view, coming from looking at a lot of uh, war museums and things like that in, uh, in Asia, and sort of the beautiful little objects that are sort of kept and then represented in, in cabinets. And they're, you know, like toothbrushes that someone used. and you know, these sort of strange made things, or else they can be quite violent things, so, you know, gallows or shackles or things like that, and they're just sort of lifted up and put aside and then they're presented again, and there's a sort of um, 
lo-fi kind of archive things going on in those kind of places, which has been quite influential, I think, to my practice as well. Mm. They're not funny, but they're kind of absurd. Yeah. Mm. And I think uh, sort of that's another sort of material language that both of your installations touch on, but but treat in different ways is that sort of um, that sculptural language of modernism and of minimalism and that sense of very sort of pared back materials that, that both of your work plays on in, in quite different ways. And I just wonder if that was uh, that's something that you consciously sort of set out to, to incorporate or that is just sort of a, a, another reference point in the many. I don't think I heard the question. Oh, it's about, I guess, uh, this. It could be sort of uh, an installation of minimal, minimal oh, sculpture yes. from yeah. one perspective. Sure. But it's not. But, but <laughs> well, you tell me. <laughs> Is it? departure points are pretty um, pretty in keeping with departure points from that time in history as well. So, you know, um, sort of things being more handmade than mass produced is, is part of that lineage as well. Um, the idea of a, the performative viewer is part of that lineage as well. So, I don't think um, it's, you know, a vast repositioning of that, that type of work. Mm. Um, but they're not, um, I don't know, how, how would you mark the difference between those two practices yourself? Like, is it the... I think it's the sort of the, the originating point for me and mm. that idea that, um, that, you know, your practice, whether it happens in, in the white cube of the gallery or elsewhere, is, a, is this kind of site-specific practice and mm. that uh, a lot of the time there is that that latent sense of performance mm. that underpins it, whether that sort of sense of performance is, is realised or not, mm. and that sort of that play between activation and stillness and, and that sort of that humour that does connect it to the, the wider built environment mm. and that it sort of could be seen as, as a sort of accomplished exhibition of minimalist sculpture, but it's also uh, a sort of quite uh, expansive field of activity mm. at the same time. And, um, and I think the works with Kyle do sort of take it that next step that sort of that does talk about the way that that bodies and everyday bodies are impacted by, mm. by these things rather than vice versa. Yeah and I think there's also a, um, a consistent sort of undertone of, of temporality as well so there's a, a lot of mapping of space that occurs and there's a lot of very specific kind of architectural references and things like that and I think Kyle's movement through the space is a lot of it's just a sort of a temporal registration of, of you know, of space basically, sort of time-based um, and remembering what, I guess a little bit of it's also to do with remembering that this space has had so many different layers of exhibitions and work and artists come in and out and it's a transient thing. This, exhibitions transient, these conditions are transient because that all the performances were done in the space when it was empty and uh, I think that's important as well that there's this kind of layer of it where nothing's here either except for us and our bodies and this sort of architectural space that we're looking at 
in this particular time there's these particular things here but often there's not so it's kind of a mapping of of space without the objects in it at mm. all which was important to me I didn't want there to be work in there in the show when he was negotiating it I wanted it to be a blank canvas that's another really, I, I guess, interesting aspect of this project is that it does, part of it does take place in the empty ACA galleries and uh, they're very rarely empty because between exhibitions they're either closed for installation or they're being hired for events or, or corporate functions. Um, and so it was a kind of a, a privileged view into the gallery and its architecture and um, I guess I'm just sort of wondering what that was like, what the space felt like and how you and Kyle responded to it in that state? Yeah, I think it was a blessing because when I did come back in here when Pippa Lollyrist's show was on, it was so hard to see that room back in white. It's mm. so, it had changed, it had altered so much, I'm not sure. So I guess the starting point for Kyle and I, and the way that I work often is to look at a safety space. And as I said already, to sort of make these intuitive gestures in there that incorporate the context and perhaps, you know, local things or whatever I've been thinking about and reading about, those sorts of things. And, uh, and so Kyle and I talked about, um, you know, uh, where feels safe in a space like this or um, where we tended, what, what tendencies we had with negotiating the big site, the size of it, and that's where uh, we both sort of found that we were gravitating back to corners and to sort of particular sort of ways of framing him and um, so and needing an edge and things like that. So it was very much like a void, really, and so we were constantly trying to find ways that would locate us within that or that would allow us to have some tension within that or or wherever and just where we felt comfortable because it's a huge sort of empty space. It's very overwhelming. And I guess in some ways that's what the sculptures are doing as well by creating a, mar a demarcation that allow you to then sort of be on one side or the other or mm. to register your body against it in a different, a particular different way, a different particular way. Mm. Yeah, so, uh, and so that process for him was about kind of mapping and skirting the edges and, and finding out how his body related to the, to the space. Mm. And, and for me it was about sort of creating physical demarcations that would sort of allow that to be revealed as well in a way. Yeah. I think, you know, something else that, uh, that connects your projects is, is that sort of uh, sense of performativity and that you have, um, I guess, particularly explicitly explored but Charlie I do think that you know in a way there is an aspect of your practice that uh, sort of points to everyday life as a as a performance and uh, the way that the sculptures perform the objects that they they house um, and I guess obviously there is a, a performance aspect in the project in the video but um, is that something that that does kind of consciously incorporate into your thinking when you're when you're making work that that sense of of you as a performer in the work. <coughs> it's it's really a uh, um I think it's really uh, a seductive 
there's something appealing about performing <laughs> in mm. your own, there's something really immediate about that, mm. um, which, and it's also a trap as well. It's kind of, it's a, it's a sort of double-edged thing. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, I, I did, when, when we first met, that, funny, that, that word that you had in your performativity, it kept going around in my head. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, when something's performed, it's sort of, there's this, you know, there's a kind of, there's a theatre involved, it's a theatrical mm. kind of, it has that dimension to it, I guess, and um, you, you could definitely say that because, uh, you know, the, those works on those plinths are those big round um, stages, you know, mm. like are presented, you know, they are very animated or... Mm. Um, Just uh, as the sculptures are fairly anthropomorphic as well. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah. So maybe just because it's like a, the, the, the gestural as well, mm. like it would be like a, you know, a, a hand gesture or something like that. Um, mm. uh, so I can definitely, yeah, uh, you know, see that. <laughs> but I guess it's, you know, like I'm, I'm interested in objects and materiality and I, and, you know, I still see myself as being a material artist. Like, and that is the kind of, that seems to be the kind of a, a thing, or that's, that, that's the sort of fuel or the, the standpoint that I kind of take when I approach things as well. Um, when it slips off into um, a performance, that's always, um, yeah, it kind of, it's, it's sometimes kind of quite tangent, ten, you know, it's like a tangent, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's really hard to talk about it, just uh, performance, just kind of cut, because like, it's just, it's, it's, it's incorporated in so many people's practices, I guess, in work, um, mm. that um, to separate it is almost like, quite sure like uh, to become conscious of it is um, hard <laughs> mm. um, I, I was thinking about Kay Lee's work and something that did come up in, in when you're talking about the performances and then and even the sculpture was there was something to do with uh, I felt uh, that there was certain constraints placed on things and they were uh, uh, it, they were either self-imposed or there was a kind of noticing what the constraints were mm. like in the gallery or um, and to some extent I kind of whether they're imposed or you impose them yourself, those those constraints are kind of quite important, you know, to, to making a work. But mm -hmm. I actually feel like there's a kind of um, uh, sorry to put this back <laughs> into your into yes. your core, but I, I, you know, there is there is a kind of uh, also a kind of emotional sense of kind of um, constriction or something or uh, in the work because there's, there's so much potentiality to, mm -hmm. in it, but it doesn't um, it, it resists like mm -hmm. resists kind of. It's like I've gone ahead and done all the things, like you know, and like done all the kind of gimmickry of it. But you've kind of you've, you've, you've yeah. kind of held back, like in a way, which is sort of like admirable in its own way. Like it's it's. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think that sort of uh, the sort of potentiality of things is more interesting to me in my practice than the actualization of them. I suppose, like. Um, and it's funny because when you were talking about guidelines and performativity and things like that, I, one of the first performative works that I did was with Jeff in Next Wave mm -hmm. with a project called Guidelines. And I was working with the board members from Conical and we did an exhibition down at Next Wave which was um, very much based on live performance. And I was involved in making a set of props or a set of sort of sculpture works that were taken down there, like a sort of umpire's chair and all these different types of safety devices that we were using and we uh, and this was in Federation Square as well which is you know one of the most highly totally right. regulated yeah totally over, regulated. over prescribed spaces in, in the city yeah so we were introducing a new set of guidelines um, and 
was sort of at odds with the security and things like that. But I was working with David Simpkin and Jason Mailing and Harriet Turnbull, who are all really, really um, out there sort of performance-based artists who love that sort of um, you know theatre and the, and they're really, really good at it. And I really enjoyed playing with them for a little while. And a couple of days into it, I realised that. Um, it wasn't where my work lay. I wanted to walk away and leave them uninhabited. I wanted them to be there, but not to be pointing out exactly how to use them, I suppose. So, um, and that was really interesting for me to be able to work through that because that's been sort of the thing that I keep coming back to. It's, a, it's an empty set, it's an empty stage, and I'm not particularly interested in, um, in activating it, I suppose. I think that. Um, and it relates to my own experience of walking through urban space. Like I'm not, um, I'm not going to start doing parkour or jumping on bins or swinging off rails or anything. Like it's not where my interest lies. My interest lies in sort of observing these things as just being there, and sort of the, the language builds up over time, and it sort of becomes a psychological language um, that you can, you know, pick back out of and make selections from and put them back together again, and then a landscape of some kind that's created from that. But it's empty because it wasn't something I necessarily activated in the first place. So yeah, I think there is that sort of resistant, like that sort of um, uninhabited um, and what did you say the word was? Like resist, I resisted it, but what did I resist? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of in a way it's resisting um, literalizing yeah. the kind of the kind of things that you're talking about to create a, a sort of more more open field and sort of an open-endedness mm. to your work and I think um, you know Charlie even though you're sort of talking about the kind of the accumulation of the, the things that you um, notice in your studio and those objects around you being the basis for your work uh, at the same time it's not it's not self-portraiture either, um, and I think that is that's an interesting decision that you've made in, in your installation here, but in your practice more generally as well. That it does there's that line that it does draw inspiration from everyday life and things around you, but it, it doesn't necessarily lapse into self-portraiture. Yeah, I have major panic attacks about that. Like it's sort of that <clears throat> to to be lost in it, like it's just you and this mirror. I no I. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I need to. I think I need to have distance. But at the same time, I've, I have valued a kind of sense of personal honesty or disclosure um, as a strategy. Uh, I think they're both forms of mapping. They're both forms of mapping a particular terrain, and they both perhaps come from an ordinary language, but they just have very different sort of endpoints. Yeah, that's true. And, and yours are very much about simple actions as well that are. Sort of the things that we don't notice particularly, but that are quite neurotic sometimes, and other times are just sort of, you know, uh, so familiar that they become enjoyable when you see them again because they're so sort of um, they're so familiar in our own sense of body memory. And well, that was the thing. Yeah, I think that that idea of familiarity was really important. Like in going about and getting the, the objects as well, was it? Like, although they're really casually selected, they're also sort of not. There's something about them that needs to... That it's not about worth or value as such, but um, they, they need to be kind of ubiquitous or something um, uh, to, to be able to kind of 
it's like if they're too special, they're sort of too too loaded already. It's not the kind of that's not the terrain I'm interested in mapping. Um, it's already the, the meaning is already kind of pre-established. It's the sort of things that um, that you know that are insidious <laughs> um, as well. Um, a sort of nice reflection of it for me, sort of a, a nice way to understand that is that passage in the video where a sequence of people actually um, lift you up and hold you, um, much in the same way, sort of for me, as the, the sculptures hold the objects or, or the, the plinths hold the objects to form the sculpture, and that those people are just the people who happen to be around in the studio. Some of them are your friends, some of them are studio mates, some of them are acquaintances, but there's that sense of just drawing from the materials at hand. Yeah, I guess it was, yeah, I, I like that, because there's levity, yeah, mm. things are being suspended in some way. Um, and then uh, <coughs> getting yourself, I mean, I think I really did treat myself a bit like an object in that, um, in that video as well, like it was sort of, you know, I thought it was about the objects and then it ended up, yeah. It's uh, about, for me, it's much more about that threshold between the, the object and the user. Yeah. Where the two actually, the, the distinction is blurred or it's about that continuum between yeah. us and the stuff, which uh, we think of as separate entities, but actually it's sort of not separate at all in the constellation of, yeah. of your world. Well, I mean, it's funny because I was thinking, I, I often I experience when going out, people would, would be picking me up quite a bit as well. Over, and I, I always thought it was, it's kind of a bit of a humbling experience as well. Like, uh, but it's it's sort of fun. Or, or I guess it, there's a kind of a not taking yourself particularly too seriously as well, which is sort of the, the video is kind of not serious. <laughs> um, it's sort of. But those people are your community. As of course, well, which is yeah. What's really nice about it as well, and there's something quite like overt about that. You know, that the people that are around you in your community and in your studio and in your university are picking you up yeah yeah <laughs> but also i think that that you know the work and the things that you've selected are a portrait of studio practice as well you know like it's i think that's quite particular not just general life but a specific part of life i think as well because the cameras yeah. in the studio and you know this little things like you know even the coffee cart that comes from here you know, which <laughs> yeah is all kind of mapping a set of breadcrumbs all the way into the space through the front door. Yeah. <laughs> well, if it is a portrait, I, I, I'd rather it was a very minor one <laughs> anyway, that it wasn't like a definitive <laughs> one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the other, you know, there's, there is a sort of um, very sort of direct relationship between the video and the sculptures in your work where you're sort of performing the objects. Um, but then there are these breakout sequences and one of them is the, the, the holding sequence which we've just talked about but the other is this kind of very cheesy kitsch like the, uh, the Electronica Kate Bush um, soft focus yeah. pan on all of these kind of decorative surfaces and maybe um, if you just tell us a little bit about that. Um, I guess I was aware it was becoming a very self-conscious art um, movie. <laughs> I've made a lot of art videos and they've always, I've always tended to hold things back and just present things very simply. And suddenly you're, you're on iMovie and there's all these gadgets and, and things like that. And uh, the kind of possibilities just kept, I guess I got excited. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I was like, I might as well. It, there is a kind of certain level of testing involved. It's just like, how far can I push this? And actually, it was a lot longer because um, I, and, and it, it, it kind of did cross this barrier of being kind of too ridiculous. Um, 
Uh, so, yeah, I, I pulled it back, but I don't know, when you find a form and where you, where you decide your kind of constraints, then you can really play in it, and you're like, what can I do with this? Um, but none of it was, um, and maintain sincerity as well, which is important. Like, I, I, there was no, if any fun was to be had, it was at my own expense, <laughs> or, or, or whatever, like it, um, but yeah, um, that's, that's all I can say, is apart from, it's just a kind of a, um, uh, Maybe, maybe you know, like the stand. This this idea was also um, there was something messy about this video that when when these works when I was making them there was some clarity and consistency in in, in how they were kind of carried out and um, and and I knew that adding this would add some sort of level something it would complicate things a bit. It, it sort of makes it messier. It's in the studio. It's recorded on your computer. It's you. It's sort of the physicality of you. A sort of as a body and as a self kind of interacting with these things so it sort of it, it, it messes it up right at the very minute where yeah. it's looking very clean and yeah. very sort of formed in a way yeah because i even thought when i was thinking through how it would happen it wasn't till i got to this um well i mean where i started with it i was you know there's this video that's actually on youtube and it still has its kind of potency as an advert that where andy warhol was just sitting and he's eating a hamburger for like seven minutes, and it's sort of completely banal, but you know, it's sort of a it's a celebration of a sign. It's a particular kind of sign um, as well. It's you know, it's it's, a, it's sort of um, it's performed. It's it's performed, I, um, but it's quite dry. And I was looking through the internet, and I'd come across quite a few tumblers where teenagers were kind of presenting these performances of themselves doing equally as banal things. Actually, one person was it. He was eating a burger as well, probably with no knowledge of, of that of that history. And I, I thought it was kind of strange that something about that lineage um, of that type type performance was happening in this way. And it wasn't. And it's quite funny because I haven't really ever made a um, a webcam movie like mm. online, like or presented. So it's it's weird that I hadn't really got my head around about how I'd carry out this film until it kind of clicked that that was the form at which to do it. And it was mm. going to be something that I could come in when I was working away in the studio and I didn't have to change anything or create a set or whatever. It was just, it, was, it kind of just wasn't what, what it was. So it's a half performance, half kind of a document of something. Mm. Um, what was the question? So I think I lost it. In I think that is great. It's yeah. a really, really wonderful sort of appendix to the work in a way. Um, I think we've uh, said a lot of words and perhaps it's time for you to say some words and ask some questions to the artists if you have any. We've got a roving mic. That we kind of... do, and I think half of you are probably absolutely must be to see the work that um, Jeff Key and Charlie have been talking about. So we'll do a, a maybe like seven minutes of Q&A and then you can go into the gallery and um, they will be here after so you can ask them questions directly. So if you have any questions now. of the works on the far the sort of the wire works came about um, and they're, they're quite the monotone um, some of them are white and there was a I guess when I was kind of collecting those things or I wasn't actually collecting them I was just around I was looking at them and, and I had about maybe six or seven of them and I realized they're all monotone so they're all white like you've got these iPhone cords which are kind of pristine white 
And one day I looked down at them and I realized they were filthy and disgusting. So it's sort of like this color, just when something is white, it, it records trace. Um, that, you know, the, the, the um, ACA rewards card that has been sitting in the, in the wallet for ages. Like it's, I guess it, they, um, they have recorded a kind of a, um, a history of their own. But it, it wasn't, not, not overbearingly <laughs> as well, like it wasn't a sort of a, um, uh, it wasn't too diagrammatic because there are some objects in there that also, uh, uh, you know, were used once or whatever. Um, and then there's one, you know, this like, like kind of traffic infringement thing as well, which is sort of, it, it started looking to me like dirty laundry, that, <laughs> that work, like it actually was like, um, even taking it out, I felt nervous about it because it was something um, a little bit like, um, there was some edge like, I, I, things I hadn't wanted to ever show or present as collections before that I was able to do with this work. In the second one, they were more, um, they, they were really kind of casual things, like, it's just like my watch or whatever, like I really, honestly like, some of the decision making has to be done really, really quickly. Like it just comes from here. Because um, if it uh, if it was too considered, I thought it might be um, overly. Uh, I just wanted to avoid it being too contrived <laughs> as well. So um, yeah, let the decision making happen quite quickly. <laughs> It isn't to that final moment when I know they're there that I feel a bit nervous about losing them because they're important. Um, uh, yeah. It's a great question because is, is the way that they're placed, you know, the, the objects in relation to the more kind of sculpted objects, is it improvised in the space? Y yes and no. Some are, some are like some were made for it, and other ones were um, just appeared. I guess. Um, I've tried to work on them. I actually worked on the work as it was as I was collecting at the same time. So they're both evolving at the same time. Um, yeah, it's it's an animated collection of, of things. Like, it, uh, uh, yeah. Um, does that answer? Yeah. yeah. Katie, you spoke about how your um, sculptures were response to the space in which they were being put. I was wondering whether each of them is an independent response to that space, or once you start having an initial response, whether the other objects are influenced by that object itself. And, mm -hmm. and so it's the interaction between the different objects that I was interested in. Yeah. Um, both, because originally I, I mean, I came in and I had a, a first sort of round of responses, I suppose, and they were very much, kind of spatial uh, solutions or spatial 
problems, whichever one of them. Uh, and then works were kind of coming in in one way, and then the I sort of had to split them apart. So there's a lot of work in there that was designed in my mind to be uh, clustered in a different way or a different set of objects or something like that. But when it came in to the space, they needed to um, they needed to be rearranged in a different way, sort of based on the, the tension that they provided each other. So. Um, there was, I mean, uh, the, all the measurements are taken directly off the space, so there's nothing arbitrary about the height of things or the sort of length of things. But the where they went in the end became um, impossible to predict until I got here based on sort of things like sight lines and navigating the space and where you're standing in relationship to one thing or another. And that couldn't really be determined until there's no sort of program for how to predict that. It's really difficult. Even in, uh, all the drawings you can do in the world don't kind of allow that to be revealed until you're surrounded in your space. Yeah. Thank you. A lot of the um, questions you were asked and the responses you gave this evening for both artists were a lot of them I saw them as introspection. It's where you're coming from, the journey you've been making, and um, how you connect ideas and, and translate them into art in some way, and, and what you're putting into them, and sort of very personal approaches to, to your art. I'm just wondering to, to what extent do you think about the world, the audience, people outside of yourselves, and, and um, is it sort of bad luck, whatever, you know, people may, may get it or not get it, or is there something as artists that you want people to take from your art, or don't you really think or worry about that? I mean, what commitment do you have to the audience? Is, is it just there, open, and it doesn't matter about the audience? Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> generosity like if we're talking about what you want to give um, I don't know there's a real balance there you need a, you need a strike between like developing something of your own vision and um, wanting to interact with people and interact with you know you're not I haven't put it there for no reason I didn't block up the door so no one can come in yeah there's a kind of like sense of wanting to reach out to, to people um, it's really yeah I, I think it's a hard thing it's like a, it's a constantly it's a uh, a very, it's a, there's a fine balance between thinking or recognizing yourself as being sort of, you know, being self-indulgent or being generous, you know, like you, you, you waver. And I think, it's, I think it's a really good question, actually. I mean, do, do you want to respond to that, Katie? Yeah, I think there's lots of different entry points into my practice and that those are enough. Um, and I think that they, they're, they're different between, you know, there's art historical references, there's sort of more poetic gestural references, um, and yeah, I, I don't, I do consider the experience of the viewer very much, in fact that's probably what determines my work the most, but not necessarily the do you get it factor, that's not really something that I'm overtly concerned with, because I do think that there are a lot of 
embedded cues within it that um, certain perhaps audiences will have more insight into than others. But at the end, I really do see my practice as a poetic practice. And so just like a song or a piece of poetry, sometimes people uh, like it better than others, you know, and, and that's fine. That's, that's not something I would ever try and control or dominate so that every single person, whole wide world likes my work or gets it or whatever. It is a particular language and it's a pretty specific one, I think, sometimes, but that's, that's where the science that I've been studying comes from. That's what I've learnt to sort of, a vocabulary that I've learnt to, to use. And yeah, so I think these kind of spaces open up that question more again because they are public institutions and there's a much wider range of audiences that come to a gallery and an uh, exhibition like this. And I think that um, it can be a difficult thing. But I think that the work with Kyle actually initiated from that point that Charlie's saying about generosity and, and being conscious of it, not necessarily uh, making final decisions based on it, but there's a consciousness of that. And some things that I think are opening up the practice, again, may not do so really illicitly for other people, but at the same time, um, there's, there, there's an awareness of it that at the end of the day, the language is too much embedded in art, culture, history, and, and that's a thing to really um, shift it much beyond that, yeah.